Back in 1992, my mother was pregnant with me, and my brother Rook was three years old at the time. He was a big fan of Thomas the Tank Engine, and apparently he insisted that my name be Diesel. He was a good judge of character. Wait, this is dead ass? Dead ass. You definitely seem like a Diesel. Some people are Diesels. Fuck me. That was a trouble. Welcome to the Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode 101. I am your host, Tim M. Sullivan, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Thomas the Dank Engine. I am Tanner Richard Craft. I'm Percy. I'm Benny Kedge. And we have a special guest today, returning from her brief cameo on the Perfect Blue podcast. My partner in crime. I'm Cody. Hi. I've never met this woman before in my life. And today we are talking about the 2022 David Leitch film, Bullet Train. This film is based on the Japanese novel Maria Beetle by Kotaro Isaka. Like I said, directed by David Leitch, who is mostly known for having directed Deadpool 2. Uh, He also directed Hobbs and Shaw, Atomic Blonde, and he has uncredited listed for John Wick on IMDb. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. He's got some action movies under his belt. But before we talk about the movie, uh, we got our warm-up question, which is, what is your favorite movie set on a train? We are going to start with Joe. Oh, boy. All right. My answer all ready to go is Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I'm just kidding. Ooh, yeah. not, not my actual uh, response, no. Now it's time for the next lesson, huh? I call it How to Stop Being Stupid. <laughs> I'm going to be a little uh, cheeky here, but this movie does revolve around a train. Back to the Future Part 3. Mother. That's my pick. Mother. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you so actually sorry. managed to find something more dumb than my answer of, I'm just going to say the train scene in Spider-Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, it does revolve around a train because they need to get back to 1985 again. Sure, the same way my ass revolves around a hernia. It's a beautiful picture, Tanner. <laughs> but no, it does revolve around a locomotive, a time train traveling locomotive that flies at the end and in between that you get like a really good back to the future sequel and just a fun movie overall so i thought we could settle this like men you thought wrong dude I don't know why Tanner has to poo-poo all over my answer. In fact, pass it over to Tanner. Let's hear his response. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Tanner, what's your, what's your favorite movie on train? Uh, that video clip I, guys, I showed you guys yesterday where it was the TF2 guys and then Thomas the Tank Engine turns into a 20-foot... To- no, I, I'm kidding. I, I did say that that was an acceptable answer. My actual answer is um, the Duncan Jones movie Source Code. Yeah! Okay. Oh, holy yeah. fuck! It's also a time travel movie. It's an incredible little action sort of thriller thing of his constant eight-minute loop trying to figure out how this disaster happened. And then there's some other twists and turns on top of that. There's a big reveal at the ending of how the Source Code project actually works is um, very, very fascinating. It is probably my favorite Duncan Jones movie. I know a lot of people swear by Moon. I like Source Code a little more. And since Source Code, he has apparently forgotten how to make good movies. It may forever be my favorite Duncan Jones movie. Hello? Donna Stevens. I will rain down on a godly fucking firestorm upon you. You're gonna have to call the fucking United Nations and get a fucking binding resolution to Awesome. Austin, favorite train movie. You know, I still follow David Bowie's son on Twitter, even though he's fallen off since Warcraft. For my money, it's gotta be the Midnight Yeet Train. 
Uh, wait, no, I fucked that up. My favorite trade movie's gotta be Burger on the Orient Express. Wait, no, e neither of those are right. The, there's only one train movie that drives me locomotive, and it's Bong Joon-ho's 2013 English film debut, Snowpiercer! Woo! Real quickly, I showed this movie to my father because he's down with the good cinema, and the moment he saw Bong Joon-ho's name, he had a really good laugh. Kind of like a Dick Van Dyke situation there, uh, but the movie, the movie's really class. It's up there with, like, Sorry to Bother You and that small genre of films that lampoon capitalism in a very direct, unmistakable kind of way. Like, I can imagine right-wingers being stupid, and they think that they live is about becoming a libertarian or something, but the main message of Snowpiercer is that pyramidal resource hierarchies are super evil. Instead of, like, a vertical pyramid chart, it's a horizontal train. The people in the back are eating bugs and doing all the work so that the people in the front can, like, do mad drugs, party, and contribute nothing of value besides possessing a higher social status. It's an awesome metaphor that does not shy away from the brutality that transpires when society isn't built on egalitarian principles. But also it has cool fight scenes, memorable characters, Captain America talking about eating a baby. It's utterly ruthless. We were just about to show a video. Very good. I'll take Snowpiercer for 500, Alex. Nice. A good choice. Ben, favorite train movie? I just have to butt in to say, Austin, we have to stop coming up with the same answers for these podcasts. <laughs> because <laughs> mine is also Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer. <laughs> to start off about Snowpiercer, I fully believe in the conspiracy theory that Snowpiercer is a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> That's true. I'm not going to explain any more of it. If you want to know more about it, just look it up. There's lots of evidence out there. Charlie is the uh, the owner of the train, so I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. All right, Cody, favorite train movie? Favorite train movie is probably the security camera footage of me getting mugged on the St. Louis Metro a few years ago. Oh, my God. Wait, what it. the fuck? I don't have access to that. Yo, that one, that one's a good one too. No, my actual answer is actually the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express. I have not seen the original. I would like to one day, but I'm going to stick with that as my favorite. Good pick. Kenneth Branagh with a big goofy mustache is awesome. But how did he get that mustache? Well, boy, let me tell you about the sequel. Watch Death on the Nile. You'll know. <laughs> Gorgeous black and white cinematography explaining why a guy has a mustache. Cinema peaked. This is what dreams are made of. And enough champagne to fill the Nile. Murder on the Orange Express, good choice. Uh, fun fact, it was our first date movie. Aww. That is not why I picked it. I, I need them to understand uh, that. that. That's, that's fair. Yeah, all good picks. I'm gonna go with sort of a lesser known answer. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the 1985 film, uh, Night on the Galactic Railroad, which is an animated film based on a novel. It's basically a story about a train that takes people to the afterlife. And it does have a little bit of religious theming that gets a little heavy handed at times, but there's a lot of interesting stuff there. There's some great visuals and uh, it's just a real nice existential slow burn for when you wanna uh, think about death and feel sad and stuff. Which, uh, speaking about existential slow burns, we're talking about Bullet Train, the exact opposite of that. Let's get into our thoughts on Bullet Train. We're gonna start with Bennett. What are my thoughts on Bullet Train? That's right. Everything? Hell yeah. Fucking dude, what the fuck? You're very handsome. 
<laughs> so the first time I went and saw Bullet Train, right, it was one of my friend's birthdays. And we were like, oh, let's go see this really fun action movie. But um, let's also take some really strong edibles before we go and see this very colorful, fast-paced action film. And boy, was that an experience. I just remember being utterly shocked by it, but not really remembering much of it. So I had to go back and, and view it when I wasn't under the influence. And just as good the second time around. And if that doesn't say anything about a film, that whether you watch it while you're on drugs or not, and it's just as good either time, it's the perfect film. Perfect. In every aspect of the word, or whatever that meme is. It was perfect. Perfect. Everything. Down to the last minute details. This was a movie I was looking forward to since from the minute I saw the trailer for it. Just seeing Brad Pitt being a sleeper agent who's also like very in touch with his emotions and kind of, you know, therapeutical to all these 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 serial killer assassins that are on this train. It's just a perfect combination, I believe. Good thoughts. Joe. Oh boy. It, it's a fun movie. I, I really enjoy it. I'm calling the conductor. Suck a bag of dicks, lady. Fuck you sideways, sir. <laughs> I, I feel it loses a little bit of that specialness when you watch it at home. I, I feel like the big screen was the place to see this movie. I definitely agree mm-hmm. with that, yeah. But yeah. Um, it's still really good a second time around. I honestly just kind of wish I had a lot more to say about this movie, but the biggest word that I would use to describe this movie is fun. It's really, really Uh fun. That's what I thought the movie was going to be when I saw the trailer. I I remember when it was coming out and I was off social media. I watched the trailer on YouTube and I just kind of text Tanner. This looks fun. And that's exactly Uh what I got. It's a lot of fun. David Leaked, uh, however the fuck you say his last name, that that man is a really solid action director, and that's what you get here. The action in this is fucking phenomenal. Character writing in this is probably the strongest he's done for any of his movies. The characters in this are actually quite memorable. If I had to pick a favorite character, it's probably the one that fucking steals the entire movie and is barely in it. It's fucking Bad Bunny as the wolf. Comes in, maybe has... 10 minutes of screen time and just steals the entire goddamn movie. I just want a whole movie about that character. Visually, it's gorgeous. Lots of pretty colors. Uh, Bennett, I I would not be astonished if you had the time of your life watching this while high. Trust me. Absolutely recommend. I'm kind of at a loss for words. My brain's kind of fried, so I'm going to pass it back to Tim. Awesome. Uh, Austin, what are your thoughts on Bullet Train? Okay, uh, having also seen this in theaters and then twice on VOD, I've got to admit that there is a certain magic at play here where for me it still works really well at home. You're bleeding, mate. You don't bleed. No, never. When have you seen me bleed? Name once. Additionally, it's one of those, like, I lead a battle angel, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 situations where the Rotten Tomatoes score feels totally inaccurate. You know what kind of people give this movie a 54% aggregate score? Diesels. Fucking diesels, the whole lot. (laughs) In typical Bomb Squad fashion, I have consumed every piece of supplementary materials available at this point in time, from the Blu-ray bonus features to the one commentary track. The broadest things I learned were that this is a COVID movie, a really expensive, super polished lockdown Mm -hmm. picture. They were actually able to rent the L.A. Convention Center for a scene in the beginning exclusively because COVID made that place available. Otherwise, they probably couldn't have been able to afford it. And you know the 87 North title card in the beginning with the Flash cartoon stick figures kicking ass? 
The same company that brought us masterpieces like Nobody and Violent Night most recently. That film production company is the brainchild of this movie's director, David Leach, and his wife, Kelly McCormick. They're actually married. Leach wasn't sure he'd be able to make this movie work filming during COVID, and apparently Kelly, the producer, convinced him of how they'd pull it off. Not only is this a COVID movie, it's a couple movie made by Hollywood lovebirds. One thing that makes this film super delightful, considering it was filmed in sort of stringent, like, bottle film conditions, was how often they were able to give you a break from the scenario on the train, and how insane the cameos were when they happened. Best part of the whole film for mm -hmm. me has to be everything with the wolf. I agree with Joe. Bad Bunny brought a ton of energy to the role, but that ultra-expensive backstory montage leading up to this, like, near-immediate death was just so much dedication for an irreverent bit. Fun fact, mm -hmm. that montage was shot on film in order to give it a different look than the rest of the movie. They got Ryan Reynolds nice. filming from the set of The Atom Project. They got random Channing Tatum, Zazie Beetz, the big bad who's revealed to be Michael Shannon. They have The Elder, played by Hiroki Sonata, sometimes called Hirosh for short by uh, people on set, who has this badass sword fighting sequence to the Japanese dance cover of holding out for a hero. Get it? It's not just a big ball of yarn to unravel, they tried to make it clever. Like, Leech said he tried to give people talismans representing who they are. Like, Prince is reading a book about an assassin who's out for revenge. Tangerine and Lemon have the West Elm colors on their socks. Uh, the West Elm Forever Blowing Bubble song plays at several points in the movie. Not to mention, Tangerine gives Lemon a St. Christopher necklace. Uh, St. Christopher who saves travelers from a watery death. Hence, Lemon's dramatic departure from the train. And Brad Pitt wearing an Ozark shirt. An intentional reference to Springfield, Missouri. Rare Missouri cred. But yeah, wrapping up. I think it's paced really well and the tale is properly intriguing without making you keep track of too much like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Leave it to a director who worked his way up the ladder through a stunt career to give you action this fun in a film. It's mm -hmm. just a surprisingly good time. I'd recommend it. Nice. Tanner, I understand you have some interesting things to say. I'm about to absolutely destroy the vibes here, all right? <laughs> Tanner, if you want to say good things about this film, I'll unfriend you on LinkedIn. <laughs> Don't worry, it's nothing I have to say about the film. This past Tuesday, there were the Golden Globes, and at the Golden Globes, sitting in the front row, front and center, and basically referenced by almost every single acceptance speech, was Brad Pitt. And the day after the Golden Globes, all throughout my Twitter timeline, I saw a lot of people upset that Brad Pitt was front and center at the Golden Globes, and I tried to figure out why. So I did some digging, and I kind of heard about this back in October, but since it was locked behind a Washington Post paywall, I wasn't able to read into it that much. This time I was able to, and Brad Pitt has very, very credible accusations of abuse, not just from Angelina Jolie, but from the children he has with her? Oh, man. Hmm. Lame. And I don't feel comfortable talking about a movie that is such a Brad Pitt vehicle without at least acknowledging it. What do you think of the movie, though? Yeah. Uh, the movie fucking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, the movie still fucks. Put in, yeah, we're on the Highland Express, mate. Yeah. On our way to fucking Hogwarts. <laughs> Beyond just Brad Pitt, who Brad Pitt is is fine in the movie. It's He's fine, he's charismatic, he's charming, he's a Brad Pitt, which he does in a lot of these kinds of movies. It's nothing too exceptional. Uh, where the exceptionalness comes out to me in this movie is actually in most of the supporting cast. Most of the supporting mm -hmm. cast is actually delivering really fun 
vibrant, more interesting performances than Brad Pitt even is, Brian Tyree Henry gives what is honestly the most interesting performance in the whole movie, perhaps. But Bad Bunny really does steal the show. Can't wait to see him in whatever the fuck Sony Spider-Man villain movie they're making. <laughs> El Morto. El Morto. The character that only has two comic appearances. He honestly does steal the show. Aaron Taylor Johnson is also great. But for me, more than even Bad Bunny, the person who steals the show, which is uh, what Austin alludes to earlier, is that um, Channing Tatum is in this movie and he's really gay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He keeps saying, is this is this the sex thing? It's like the movie um, This is the End with Seth Rogen, where he's just got yeah. a gay cameo out of nowhere in the movie. He likes those. Channing Tate Yum. Tell me, and I promise I'll only shoot you whoa, enough. Whoa, um, is, is this the sex stuff? What? I, I do love an accent. Channing, what are, what are you trying to tell us? You started your career as a dancer, which is already he's, pretty fruity. He's starting to tell us that his name is Jeff. My name is Jeff. Michael Shannon should wear wigs in movies more often, if you ask mm-hmm. me, because it, it looks very fun when he wears wigs. Honestly, though, the best part of watching this movie uh, was watching it with my dad this last Friday, who really loved it. He had an absolute blast with it. And afterwards, he actually pitched something to me, which I don't know if it would make the movie better or worse, but his pitch to me was, I thought the conductor was going to turn out to be White Death. <laughs> me too. I had that same thought. Huh. Are you my father? God, no. Sandra Bullock, also very fun in a mostly voice role. Her and Brad Pitt must have been hanging out in 2020 because The Lost City also does something like this, where Brad Pitt pops up in a Sandra Bullock movie. I I looked it up and uh, they shot this first and then like they liked working with Brad Pitt so much that they brought him onto The Lost City. And that's the best part of The Lost City. Maybe that's how Channing Tatum's in, but if they shot this one, I don't know how time works. Everyone was sleeping with each other. Back to you, Tim. Fair enough. Cody. Thoughts on Ball Train? This movie was, like, tailor-built for me, specifically. One stop. Then you get off my motherfucking train. Then you get off my train, you dipshit. And learn to speak fucking Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) You have a bunch of fucking fantastic needle drops, especially with I Need a Hero. You have so much comedy, along with all this great action. Again, it's really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And, like, the word that keeps coming to mind is a word I hate when, like, people use this to describe movies. The word that keeps coming to mind is, like, slick. Speaking of Channing Tatum, though, like, I'm really glad that he's, like, such a gay person in this Because, <laughs> like, he's a bisexual man, and, like, I feel like he doesn't get to play up to that because he's, you know, been doing Magic Mike for 10 plus years. So, you know, good for him. Ch- Channing's bi? Yeah, where have you been? Nobody told me! Nobody told you! I, I think there was a mix-up with the Bisexual Monthly when I moved, and I didn't get a couple of issues there, so maybe that's where this happened. Oh, speaking of abuse allegations, we're from Missouri, and we do not claim him. This is, yeah, we do not claim him. But anything else? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you uh, go on. It, it's a good story for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. All, all good takes. Yeah, my thoughts on the movie, uh... Pretty much echoing all you guys. It's it's a real great ride. Uh, Bennett, fun fact. Uh, we had the same experience. We got on some real strong edibles before we went into the movie, and it was a blast. We were in full, uh, to, to put it in uh, 21 Jump Street terms, we were in fuck yeah, motherfucker mode. Oh, for me too. But is this real? Are we experiencing this kind of vibes? The colors were great. Like all the jokes were great. The action bits were all fantastic in that way that like it's funny, but it also is just really cool. 
and I think it was just like such a blast to watch that first time just absolutely blasted and we stumbled out of the theater just giggling our dumb little stoner heads off and then we watched it a second time sober and it was still a lot of fun and like we picked up on things more because we were sober and then we watched it again this morning for preparation and I do kind of agree that like the theatrical experience holds something a little special that you don't necessarily get at home but like it's still a good time the movies I want to say the second time we saw this when we were all sober, we took my friend and her wife along with us to go see it. And when we got out of the theater, we were all talking about the Holding Out for a Hero song. And we were talking about like how awesome it was and how much we fucking love that song. And then this very, very young, like he could not have been more than 18 years old, like AMC employee, like very fire, gently walks up to us and he's like, hey, I don't mean to bother y'all, but I heard you talking about that song, and I wanted to know if you knew the song Running Up That Hill. Because this was like right when this when Stranger Things had come out in the summer. <laughs> and we were like, oh sweet, sweet summer child. Yes, we do. <laughs> we're gay, of course we know. There's something new to enjoy about it every time. Like I think I picked up more on those little subtle beats this viewing because I had captions on. Like I picked up on the blowing bubbles coming up in multiple places and just kind of little stuff like that. This movie feels the most like an anime or a video game that I think I've seen in like a live action thing that wasn't a direct adaptation. This felt like I was watching Suda 51 video game on the big screen. Like just watching No More Heroes or Shadows of the Damned up on the big screen. It was great. Yeah, lots of, lots of good performances. All of the like little celebrity cameos were very fun. Like the reveal that Michael Shannon was uh, the White Death. And like, I think he, like, he's always kind of just like a shitty dude in every movie. That's just like his trademark character. I think he played it a little differently here, which was kind of neat. He was more like villain shitty and not just like shitty little dude shitty. More Man of Steel, less 8 Mile. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Oh, come on. Just let it go, bro. Put out me, bro! Okay. It was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. Movie good, as they say on the streets. Uh, so we, we got that one in. That, I think, is going to do it for our individual reviews. Uh, we'll come back for a little bit of general discussion and trivia after some quick ads, and we'll be right back. It could be Ebola. Don't they believe from their eyes? Ebola? I smell. Don't smell it. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. And before we get to the movie, we're going to do a quick little sponsored bit. Do you like watching movies? Do you like enjoying their color palettes? Well, we can direct you to a product that somebody else has for you. Moviepalette.com. It's a website that contains these little art palettes that contain strips with uh, dominant colors of every frame in a movie that you like. Uh, They have lots of different movies. Uh, For instance, I have this movie palette from my favorite movie of the last decade, Man. If this seems like the kind of thing you would like, you can go to moviepalette.com and order one of a movie you like. And if you use the promo code SQUAD15, you'll get 15% off your order. And now, we're gonna go in a general discussion. So let's talk about stuff and things. 
I wanted to bring this up in my general review. You guys are talking about how it doesn't hold up as well at home, as well as it did in theaters. And I do agree with that, mostly because of one thing. When I watched the train getting derailed and Brad Pitt was flying through it in slow motion scene in the theater, I thought, wow, this is so cool. When I watched it at home, I went, wow, I don't think that's actually Brad Pitt. <laughs> Speaking of watching it with my father, he pointed out something hilarious to me. If the train was to suddenly stop and derail like that, why the fuck would Brad Pitt fly backwards? That's not where the momentum is carrying him. He would fly forwards. Physics don't matter. It's an action movie. If they wanted to shoot him like on wires on a green screen plate, he had plenty of experience doing that film Ad Astra. He's probably puked a hundred times from like just being suspended on wires just for that movie. So they might have shot him on like a green screen, maybe. Take a close look at his face. His skin is kind of rubbery. Got it. <laughs> so the, the line that he says when one of White Death's henchmen hits him with the sword or whatever, and he says, hurt people, hurt people, that was actually a suggestion from the boom op of all people. They were trying to come up with some, like, therapeutic kind of sounding thing to say, and the boom op just had that, like, loaded in his chamber. The boom op went to therapy, like, the day before. Give that boom operator a raise. So the makeup artist's nephew helped contribute to the son's makeup, the White Death's son. Apparently he did a fake tattoo that said, trust no bitch, and nobody noticed until after they had Logan Lerman's scenes in the can. So that wasn't supposed to be there per se. Top tier prank. <laughs> Top tier yeah, prank. Very nepotism prank. strikes again. <laughs> uh, I want to talk a bit about the holding out for a hero needle drop because I think that's the Gatorade get hype moment of the movie. The first time we watched it, she deadass was kicking her feet in her chair. I got a little excited, okay? It was, it was a very exciting moment. Fun fact about that scene, they didn't have the money to film it. The producers kept denying them the money to do a dedicated day of shooting for that little bit where he's going around with the sword. So they formed a splinter unit. They, they did some creative sort of like divide and conquer stuff and were able to get that shot that feels so integral to the movie. Can you believe the producers were like, no, you don't need a sequence of the elders slicing people up with a cool fucking sword. We're not going to give you that money. If that hadn't been in the movie, that, that would have dropped from four and a half to four. Right. On, on my letterbox. It's important. <laughs> uh, one of the best uh, mid-credit scenes of the year. Oh my god, I forgot to mention that credit scene. That's that's my probably my favorite part of the movie. I did love how like the setup for that was right when he's talking to um, the prince the first time and she's like d giving the sob story. He's just like, I'm sorry, but white girl tears always captivate me. And like that just kind of keeps coming up. And then when he finally kills her, he's just like, final curtain, take a fucking bow. <laughs> it's so fucking good, bruh. She's killed by a truck full of tangerines. Joe, did we see this in IMAX? We did see this in IMAX, and I was going to okay. mention uh, how much you liked that, because I remember the post credit scene came up, and you were, like, so happy that there was more of Brian Tyree Henry, because you thought he had died. A body of water from that high up, it doesn't feel like diving into a pool. It feels like smacking into concrete. Yeah, it breaks all your bones. Brian Tyree Henry yeah. is simply built different. Can I say something else about about Brian Tyree Henry's character in this. I love Brian Tyree Henry as an actor. I, I've been a fan, a fan of the show Atlanta since mm -hmm. it first came out, and that was like one of his big first hits. And ever since then, it seems like he's been typecasted as the big tough guy that's like kind of quiet and to himself. 
And this is a character where he finally got to be more of a softy and mm-hmm. and show more of his comedic side. And I love that so yeah. much to get to see a different part of his range of acting. Atlanta fucking rules. There's a whole episode in the final season that's just a mockumentary on a goofy movie. It's cinema. See, this is actually very funny that you say that you're so used to Brian Tyree Henry and him being in like these tough guy roles because uh, I have a confession to make. I haven't actually seen Atlanta. So the only things I've ever seen of him have been this, Eternals, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Isn't he in Joker for like a scene? Yeah, yeah he's yeah. the mental hospital guy. And the only thing I've seen him in as a starring vehicle, which was the outside story. And in basically all of these movies, he's playing softer comedic characters. So are you telling me in Atlanta he's not that? No, he plays a trap rapper in Atlanta. I don't know. That's pretty funny. So I would I would say not the softest uh, fun guy character. But for the people who have only seen the Steve McQueen film Widows, this is a great departure. Oh, fuck. He's in Widows. Okay, never mind. I, I guess it's not that surprising. Brad Pitt and David Leach actually met on Fight Club back when David was a mere stuntman. From what I've seen on the Blu-ray bonus features, I think David had a shot in Fight Club where he was doubling as Brad Pitt. He was Brad Pitt's stuntman. And all these years later, he's the director, which is fucking crazy. I have seen a lot of stuff with Brian Tyree Henry in it, actually. Huh. <laughs> He's still on Brian Tyree Henry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was in Hotel Artemis. Oh, shit, I thought that was him. The director, what is it, David Leach and Kelly McCormick, the director and producer, they named their dog Ladybug after this movie. They have a little puppy at home named Ladybug now. That's a shit deal. So we were talking about uh, actors and how it was nice to see them in something different. That I gotta give a shout out to Joey King for finally being mm. in a fucking good movie for right. once. Oh, finally, yeah. Like, she's a really good fucking actress, but she's in, like, all those fucking Kissing Booth movies. And, yeah. like, it, it's finally nice to see someone who's actually, so. like, really fucking talented get their due in something that's actually really fucking good. And, man, is she fucking despicable in this movie. We mm-hmm. believe in you, Joey. <laughs> Joey King's kind of ruined for me because of, uh, forgot the, the name of the show. But it's the one about the um, the mom and the daughter that was down in Missouri. The act. Yeah, the act. Ever since seeing her playing like a little bald girl in the act, like I just I can't get that image out of my head. And so every time I see her on screen, I'm like, she has hair now. Yeah, this happened for years to Natalie Portman after V for Vendetta. Speaking of actors in this movie, so here are Yuki Sonata. Uh, when he pops up on screen, uh, I discovered something about my father, because when he popped up on screen, my father immediately pointed to the screen and just, um, like, loudly went, Oh, it's Scorpion! <laughs> and I was thinking in my head, I was like, I don't think he was in the 90s Mortal Kombat movie. And I realized that my father really remembers that new Mortal Kombat movie better than I do, because I legitimately forgot it existed for a few minutes. So that's, I guess, how my opinion has evolved since defending it on our podcast about it. I'd also like to talk about the cinematography in the movie because, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. a big cinematography nerd. Source? And like this past year, we've been treated with a lot of good cinematography in movies Mm -hmm. with, you know, Top Gun, The Fablemans, everything everywhere all at once. And then we also have Bullet Train. I could see this one and I, I think it should be nominated for the Oscars for Best Cinematography because some of the shots in this film are just money. 
color in it, the lighting, the use of frame rate and the slow motion between the action shots is mm-hmm. just all perfect in my opinion. They're never gonna properly recognize genre films, but credit where credit's due. It's some good yeah. shit. This looks like an anime in real life. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Like, I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw, but I remember a friend described it as being like he was watching anime. And, like, I definitely get that from this movie, for sure. Like, it it has big anime vibes. Look at me. I'm like Superman. That's all I can think about. Anytime someone says Hobbs and Shaw, I just immediately see a Drizelle go, I'm Black Superman. Put, like, a gif of that on my tombstone in the future when they, like, have NFT tombstones or whatever. All right, so now we're going to go into some trivia, and I'm actually going to hand it off to Cody, because she had a lot of stuff to talk about. Cody's Trivia Corner? That's right. Just this once, um, David Leach, however you say his name, he was Brad Pitt's stunt double in Fight Club, in Ocean's Eleven, in Troy, in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He was also a second unit director in, like, Captain America Civil War, Jurassic World, Dracula Untold, Anchorman 2. (laughs) All right, here's an unrelated fun fact. Lady Gaga was originally, like, supposed to be Maria. Okay. Uh, Lady Gaga in his yeah. ear. You put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I subscribe to unconventional punishment. Just in Brad Pitt's ear for a two-hour loop. So the book that this was based off of, Maria Beadle, it was published in 2010 when they adapted this and came out with the story for American audiences when they made this movie, the visibility of the adaptation actually led to the publishing rights being in getting the English publishing rights. So now this book is now published in English and you can now go find it. I wasn't able to get a copy. So I I know they changed the story quite a bit. Like I know the White Death is not a character at all in the book. The prince is actually a boy. Speaking of the prince, I was convinced that like the reason his name was like Little Prince was because she was like so Machiavellian and not like, oh, they always wanted a boy. Right. So this movie is like a little over two hours long, like what, two hours? Two hours, six minutes. Two hours, six minutes. It takes actually about two hours and 20 minutes to take the train from Tokyo to Kyoto. So the movie's actually doing a pretty decent job of being like in real time. The Marshall Club, which did stunt work for everything, everywhere, all at once, also collaborated on the stunts for this movie. Zach Olkowitz, the writer for this, I couldn't find a lot of information on him. His only real like writing credits are Fear Street Part 2, 1978, and he's also a writer for The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which comes out later this summer, supposedly. If you don't, aren't familiar with that, that is a new Dracula adaptation based on that one chapter of Dracula where he takes a ship from Transylvania to London and everybody on the ship disappears during their voyage. Hell yeah. The writer's father, Walter Olkowitz, is known for playing Jean-Michel Renault in Twin Peaks, and he also voiced Carmine Falcone in Batman the Animated Series. His father has David Lynch, he has David Leach. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the only other piece of sort of any interest I have is I used to work at Sunglass Hut, and once you work at Sunglass Hut, you notice sunglasses in movies. Unfortunately, you can't stop looking. And specifically, Bad Bunny wears Ray-Ban RB3138 shooter aviators that retail for $163. Awesome. Those are some pretty nice shades. They are. 
I, I, I bet the guy that collects movie sunglasses will be happy to add it to his collection. They literally like train you to use movies to help sell it. They talk so much about like the Top Gun aviator glasses. So we're gonna go into final thoughts. Austin, final thoughts. I wonder if they made Brad Pitt cut his hair so they wouldn't call this movie Mullet Train at any point. <laughs> anyway, uh, good ass film. Watch it with your mates and have a grand time with it. Joe, final thoughts. Uh, movie good, movie good. Um, movie good! Movie, movie good, movie fun. Every time Karen Fukuhara comes on screen, I, I just smile because she's delightful in this. Back to you. Bennett, final thoughts. Really good movie, a lot of fun to watch. This is definitely a good movie for like, if you just want to watch something fun and entertaining, but you don't have to put a lot of thought or focus into it. It's like, you don't have to follow like a really strict uh, plot line. You can just watch and be like, wow, this is badass and funny and you'll still understand pretty much the entire movie um but yeah movie good all right tanner you ready i am ready though i shit you not flubber just entered my brain for some reason so this should be fun um this movie's great it's a lot of fun um brad pitt is probably the weakest part of it not that he's bad but he's fine it's a lot of the supporting performances and the general action choreography that really make this movie special so do watch this movie and uh, pair it with flubber as a double feature <laughs> yeah there you go do not cody final thoughts Movie good. Movie good. Movie good. We love movie good. I think that's the first uh, guest movie good. We're going places. All right. Yeah, my final thoughts. Uh, this movie's a lot of fun. It's, it's just a good time. Like a lot of, I've been noticing a lot of people on Twitter recently have been like really just shitting all over it and being like, uh, Deadpool 2 should have been stopped. Even though I disagree with the critique, the funniest Twitter review I saw of this movie was a tweet that just said, Deadpool and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like, I've been seeing a lot of people like that on Twitter recently and like yeah some of it is funny like that but like I don't know I think it's just a really fun movie maybe it's not for everybody but if you're just looking for a good time to watch some fun goofy action this is definitely one to check out it's on Netflix it's super accessible go go watch it uh, when you have two hours and six minutes to kill so yeah that's gonna do it for this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night Cody thank you for coming on to the show you got some stuff you wanna uh, tease? The only thing I I have to tease right now and it's barely even a tease but i am working on a podcast of my own that will hopefully come out this year it's about arthurian legend and medieval history which sounds kind of really boring in this context but i'm hoping to make it less boring so if that's something you're interested in keep stay tuned finally the sequel to green nightcast <laughs> oh, there, there will be Green Knight cast too. We will be talking about Sir Gawain and the Holy Green Knight. Two Green, two Knight. Hell yeah. That's when right. the Liam Neeson version and the Death Patel version team up. Yeah, no, I want to see them fight. <laughs> they fucking fight! I want to see sexy Gawain versus Liam Neeson Gawain. Are you saying Liam Neeson's not sexy? He's not in that movie. <laughs> So yeah, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Uh, if you are listening on any of the audio platforms, please give us a review so that we get engagement. That's always a good thing, I think. No bad press is good press. I don't think that's how that phrase goes. <laughs> and if you are uh, watching on Spotify video, hope you enjoyed all our fucking uh, disgusting shit-ass curse words, motherfucker. We don't make a whole lot of money on Spotify video, so go down to our Patreon. Uh, we're, we're working on some 
some Patreon incentives so you can uh, chip in and you can be a part of that. That'll be fun. Join Tanner's mom in donating to our Patreon. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for watching. Leave a comment below and let us know. What did you think about Bullet Train? Uh, what do you think about uh, Maria Beetle if you've read it? Would you punch Brad Pitt in the face if you saw him on Shinkansen? Uh, let us know. While you're down there, hit the like button if you like the video. Hit the subscribe button if you want to see more. And hit the bell icon so that you can get notifications on uh, our stuff. Tune in next week when we'll be talking about uh, the hit Ryan Jansen film. Tanner, kick it off. Well, yes, that's right. Next week we're going to be talking about Ryan Johnson's newest film, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. That's right, because we're getting straight into uh, what Austin and I are deeming uh, Oscar catch-up. After Anime Month last year, we're going to be doing all the Oscar movies we missed this year. It's going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you tune in for that. And then we're going to review his next film, Glass Tomato. Thank you all for tuning in. And remember, in a world full of diesels, be a Thomas. Farewell. The movies. <laughs> Covering my face. Eat a pack of dicks, lady. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm